topic of stewardship and faithfulness. That's kind of the theme that I've been asked to address today. And so there's a handout. If you were not here, it's a, it's a two-page handout. And so I'm, I'm sure where those are, they're probably on a table somewhere, but maybe, uh, maybe they can be made available if you would like to pick them up. So there, there are quite a few concepts actually from Sunday School that will, that will tie into things I'm going to say here in the morning service. And then you have a handout for the morning service called Use Your Gifts for the Glory of God. And to be honest, I'm, I, I don't know that I want you to, you're welcome to look at the outline, but don't get lost in the outline because I, I just want you to listen to the Word of God and to the preaching and the explanation. And if the outline helps you to stay um, on, on, the, you know, on the right point at the right time, but I'm not going to actually refer to it, probably not much anyway, uh, as we go along. So if you would turn in your Bible to, to 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to read a section of 1 Peter 4, and then we're going to focus upon 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11 as I preach this morning on the message, Use Your Gifts for the Glory of God. Use Your Gifts for the Glory of God, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. But I'd like for us to begin reading at verse 7. It says, But the end of all things is at hand, 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And then these verses. As each one has received a gift, Minister it to, the, to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as, uh, do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory, the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God that we hold in our hands, and we pray that this section of your Word would make a lasting impact on our hearts today as we consider our responsibilities to be good stewards. I thank you so much for this church and for its pastors and their wives and for the leaders of this church, and for the members of this church, and for every person, uh, young and old, that's part of this ministry. And we ask, Lord, for your great favor upon uh, this church and upon our time this morning in your word. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Help me to communicate your word clearly and accurately. We pray that we would find good application for our everyday lives as well. We thank you for coming into this world remembering the, that God commends His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank You that when we were without God and without hope in the world, You granted to us the miracle of regeneration and we were born again. And we thank You for saving faith. Thank You for the transforming grace of God in our lives. We thank You for the home in heaven that we have assurance that we will be in one day and for the blessing and purpose of God to be filled out, uh, to be fulfilled in our lives as we seek your face and 
seek to live for you. We come into your presence this morning. We ask that you would uh, cause our hearts to be cleansed as we have accumulated things, no doubt, in our lives this week that need to be washed away. We pray that you would do that this morning. Work in our hearts. Cleanse us. Prepare us. Then use us, we pray, in the coming week. And we pray you'll use this time to that end now in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter is a, is, a, is a great book on God's grace. The, actually, the very next, uh, in First Peter chapter 5, and verse, verse 12 we read, Peter is saying, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this, this truth that he's proclaimed throughout the book of First Peter, is the true grace of God in which you stand. I like to outline the book of 1 Peter like this. God's grace in salvation, the first chapter and a half. God's grace in submission. God's grace in suffering. And God's grace in shepherding. God's grace in salvation, in submission, in suffering, and then in shepherding in chapter 5. When you come to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, we're, we have to remember we're in a context of suffering. These are scattered believers who were facing great difficulties wherever it was that God had allowed them to live. And so uh, Peter is writing this encouraging epistle to encourage them to draw upon God's grace. Now, if you're saved, the Bible teaches that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. Grace is divine enablement. It is strength. It is power. It's the means by which we are saved and sanctified. It is the means by which we serve the Lord and the, the means by which we live for Christ. The Christian life is not just a, a, a sheer will. You know, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just doing this on my own. No, no, we cannot live the Christian life in the, the effort of just, the, we call it the flesh, just in mere human effort. It does take effort, don't take me wrong. But it's an effort that is saturated and motivated by spiritual power that comes from God, comes from the heart of God to our hearts, and it motivates us internally. I call it the invisible energy of God from His heart to our, ours that motivates and sustains us as we seek to live for Christ. And sometimes that means suffering, like these folks were doing. Sometimes it means submitting, even in this book, to not so great leaders in, in, in the culture. And of course, the culture in their day was the Roman government and Nero and all, the, all of what that meant back living under that totalitarian, wicked uh, world in which they were. But there was to be, nevertheless, a submission to governmental authorities, appropriately so, sometimes suffering because you have to obey God rather than men in some, in some cases where uh, you're called upon to do that. And it takes grace to shepherd. It takes God's grace. Uh, I, I like 1 Peter chapter 10, 5, 10, kind of sums it up. It says, May the God of all grace, who has called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So, the grace of God. 
So this morning, I want to take the, the passage here, these two verses that are really talking specifically about spiritual gifts, and I'm going to outline it like this, and you have the outline, but let me just give you the, the quick overview of the, of the passage. It is, number one, God gives gifts. Number two, God gives grace. And number three, God gets the glory. He gets all the glory. And I think you can find all those concepts right there, right on the surface of the text. So I'm outlining it that way. He says in chapter 4, verse 10, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's very clear in the New Testament that every truly born-again believer has a spiritual gift could be gifts, could be a combination of gifts that make up who you are, how you're wired, and how you will primarily serve the Lord will probably be through how God has put you together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read it this way, verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all, to every man, every person. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit dividing to every man severally or individually as he will. Verse 18, But now God hath set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Now whether you're consciously aware of the spiritual gift or gifts that God has given to you may be one thing, but the scriptures declare that he's given to you a gift. And Peter makes that clear. As every person has received the gift. This, he's talking to people who have already received the gift of eternal life. So we're not really talking about the gift of eternal life, though that's a gift. But we're talking about that means by which we are going to serve the Lord. Now in this passage, he just refers to it in two broad categories. We'll talk about that in a moment. In Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, it's more fleshed out in Paul's writings. And so there are approximately... Tw- Uh, 18 to 20 spiritual gifts that are noted in the New Testament. So every one of us has a gift. These gifts are to be used as a ministry to others. I mean, there may be, in a sense, there may be a way in which we, we, uh, we benefit from the gift that we have. Maybe if a guy has a teaching gift and he has some insight, he benefits from that because he can learn. But it's really meant to be something that's used as a blessing to others. And so when we come together as the people of God, we're, we should be seeking opportunities through which we can use our gifts and, and be a blessing to others to, he says, minister to others. And then God expects us to be a faithful steward of the gifts that he gives. And we talked about what faithfulness means. He says, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. A steward in, in the ancient world was a household manager. He'd been left with some responsibilities. The homeowner had gone away, perhaps. And, and so this manager was taking care of the daily details of running the operation there at the house, maybe the, we, we might say in the south, the plantation, or the, the operation, the big farm, or whatever it was. And so it is in the, in the body of Christ. We've, our master has gone away. He's bestowed gifts. Uh, These gifts are to be used to benefit one another, and we've got to be good stewards, good managers of what God has given to us. And you'll notice that there's a variety of these gifts. He says we are to be good stewards of the the manifold. There's a a little fancy word that we don't commonly use, 
the variegated, the diverse gifts of God. You know, God is a phenomenally, just beyond our comprehension, uh, creative God. I don't know how you are about watching nature programs. I like nature programs, all right? I like seeing all the weird fish in the world. I like seeing the, the variety that's created. I like, I just like that stuff. What I don't like is when they have to pack in the millions and billions of years in that. That part I go, oh, brother, you know, and I just move on. But the actual physical appearance of the animals and the complexity of the world in which we live and the variety is amazing. And actually, he's kind of done the same thing in human life as well. I don't know that there are any two people exactly alike. Uh, some people look alike if they're identical twins, but you actually find out they're, they're not exactly alike. There's a diversity. And so it is in the area of spiritual gifts. In this passage, he talks about gifts in two broad categories. He's talking about the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. So he says in verse, verse 11, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Now, obviously, uh, preaching. In the New Testament days, they might call that, in a, in a certain sense, call it prophesying. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, teaching. Maybe exhorting. Or maybe a type of encouragement would be more on the speaking side. I, I had a, a, a friend, a, a new friend of mine, I'm getting to know him, say to me this week, he's a very articulate speaker. I heard him speak for the first time uh, this week up in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. He spoke for a long time. It wasn't really preaching when he spoke, but he was talking about a topic, and he, he had apparently no notes, and he just, it was a complex subject, and he just covered it from A to Z for about, I don't know, 40 45 minutes, and I'm just, this young man's probably 35 or something like that, and I'm just sitting there, he's good, okay? <laughs> and I've heard a lot of people speak. He's got a gift. But he told me privately, um, he said that, he said, actually, my wife is not a speaker, and he works for my brother-in-law, and my brother-in-law's uh, wife is my, obviously, is my wife's sister, and, um, and my wife is not a speaker, and his wife is not a speaker, and he told me, my wife is encouraged by your wife and takes comfort in the fact that your wife is not a speaker, even though I'm a speaker. Do you follow what I'm saying? Not, because you're married to a speaker doesn't mean you have a speaking gift, right? Now, you may have, some people do. Uh, there are some really famous lady speakers around the country. Okay, fine. That's that's the way God's wired them. But just because you're married to a preacher doesn't mean you're a speaker. And he said, you know, if my wife knew she had to speak six months from, from now somewhere, she, she wouldn't sleep for the next six months because she would be uneasy about that. Now, if I were called to play the piano, I'd feel the very same way. Right? I would like, if I got to do a concert, I would just die. I had no, I, in other words, it wouldn't happen, number one, so I don't have to worry about it. But... And, you know, there are some people who are, who are gifted at organizational things, and they just come naturally. 
And there are some people who are gregarious and they're just drawn to people and they love to be engaging. And there are others who are a little more on the shy side, but they can, they can get it done. My wife has more of a behind-the-scenes uh, serving gift. She's a phenomenal servant of the Lord. And the, the older I get, the more that I realize the servant-hearted nature of my wife. So if any man speak, people who speak, and we're talking in a church setting here largely, we're, we're, that person's got to speak as if he is speaking the word of God, the oracles of God. And if any man minister or serve, perhaps meaning on the non-speaking side, when we, serve, when we speak, we're serving the word, but there are people that are not speakers and teachers, but they're going to have opportunities to serve, and they are to do it, it says, with the ability that God gives. Now, I'm going to switch passages on you right here, and I want to go to Romans chapter 12 for a moment, if I could. Romans chapter 12 is a, one of my favorite passages. I actually, in my mind, I call Romans 12 breakfast reading, all right? I like list. Romans 12 has quite a few, has a long list of things that we should be doing and not doing, and I, I like that. But Romans chapter 12 is a parallel passage to what we're talking about here, and it's more expansive. And so I just want to take a little bit of time, and you see it in your outline there, as, as it pertains to spiritual gifts. In Romans chapter 12, you have a chapter just before it, of course, chapter 11, that ends with the idea that God is the source, the means, and the end of all things. Verse 36 of chapter 11 for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So God is the center of all things. He is the source, the origin, the means, and the end of all things. So Paul is wrapping up this profound theological discussion of salvation of the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's put that all together, and he's given God the glory, and then he transitions, and he's speaking now to believers, Jews and Gentiles, in the church, and he says in verse 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What he's doing here is he's saying every believer has a place of ministry. No longer is that relegated to the ironic priesthood, to the tabernacle and temple sacrificial systems. Christ has come. All the types have been fulfilled. We're not living inside Judaism anymore. We're inside the church, and both Jews and Gentiles and every member in the body of Christ is responsible to be carrying out a ministry. We call that the priesthood of the believer. Every member is a minister. And so this is a call. This is a cry for total dedication to Christ. You see it? So it's the presentation of our bodies, the separation of our lives from being conformed to the world, and the transformation of our minds by the renewal process of spending time in the Word of God and devoting ourselves wholly to the Lord. We are to be characterized by being a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to the Lord, which is, he says, your reasonable service. And that word service has to do with priestly service. And so it's a call to total dedication. And I would just say to you this morning, and I'm, I'm preaching here, if you haven't noticed the tone has changed here a little bit. I'm not just merely teaching. I am, by the grace of God, by the word of God, I'm calling 
every believer to a life of total dedication to Him. That we would let go and let God have total control of our lives, no matter what our giftedness, no matter what our, say, vocation in life is, but that we would view all of life as an opportunity of service to the Lord. We do that, then in verse 3, we need thoughtful discernment. He says, For I say, through the grace of God given to me, to every man who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Thoughtful discernment. I had a, years ago, I, I, a man said to me about his office mate. This is not a nice comment, all right? But it left a lasting impression on me. He said, I wish I could buy him for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth. <laughs> and I, I knew the man that he was talking about. And I, I don't know the what was in the man's heart, but I know that his speech sometimes betrayed that very thing, that he, he, he had a higher view of himself than he should have had, or that other people had at least, of him. Uh, if we're going to be effective in the service of the Lord, we, we need to be humble people. We need to have a correct, as much as we can, self-assessment. God has a place for us. By the way, the scripture is saying, it says it in 1 Peter, God gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. I'm not saying God never uses a proud person, but there's something about pride that is antithetical to the, to the power of God working through a humble servant. And you, you may be of a person who is very inclined toward humility. That's good. That's a good quality. And I would say, if so, you, you are a candidate for God to use you. You may be a person who struggles with weakness, with difficulty, with conscious infirmities. Sometimes that was true of Paul. He said, I will rejoice in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He had some unrelenting difficulty noted in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but he found the power of God made up the difference in his life. And then there needs to be a timely duty, that is, where we recognize then that we have responsibilities in the body of Christ. For as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we being many in one body and individually members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And I like to pull that together with expression old Dr. Walter Fremont used to say, there's a unity and there's a uniqueness. Our unique expression of our giftedness that contributes to the unity of the body of Christ. Whatever we're doing in terms of the exercise of our gift needs to contribute not to the disharmony, but to the harmony of the body of Christ, to use to the unity of the, the body of Christ. And then he enumerates seven gifts. I'm, I'm going to hit this real quick, and we're going to move on from this arena, but I'd just like you to, to think with me for a moment about what someone has called seven motivational gifts. He says in verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, let us use them. It's kind of an elliptical phrase there. You notice it's even italicized, which means it's not in the original, but it's supplied to give a sense of things. So he says, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. I like the word proportion. 
It's the word from which we get our word analogy. And it's talking about that which corresponds. I've noticed in spiritual gifts in people's lives that, that people can have giftedness along certain lines, but some, some, some people have, let's say, a larger portion or proportion of a gift set. I have a good preacher friend. We've been friends for 45 years, Dr. Mark Minnett, pastor of Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Pretty much a lot of people in our circles look to him as kind of the, the leading, better-known expositor. And, you know, he preaches for 70 minutes at a clip. He'll say to me, when you come preach at my church, you have an hour and 15 minutes. I say, dude, I can't even stand that long. I can't, I, you know, so he's just, he's not a fast speaker, but he's a clear speaker. And he's really good. So he's, he's got this extra measure that I know I don't have, but that's, that's his portion. And so he has to minister in light of how God has put him together. Prophecy in the New Testament time probably was, it was more than telling the future. It involved the foretelling of the Word of God. And it was a little different in that day because we didn't have the completed canon of the New Testament. And so perhaps there were, there were people who could declare accurately, prophetically, the Word of God. It's kind of a foretelling of the Word of God. And I, and I would say that today, technically, probably that gift is not, uh, it's not, it's like it is, was back in the New Testament day. But I would say it's akin to preaching. I'm, I'm declaring the Word of God this morning. I'm, I'm doing it based on the text of the Word. I want the Spirit of God to help me do that. I'm not saying I have the gift of prophecy, but I know that God has called me to preach. And I want to say this this morning to, to you. We need more preachers, okay? We need more God-called, God-gifted, on-fire, Spirit-filled, preach-the-Bible type Christian preachers. We need that. You may sometimes feel like we've got tons of them. I'm telling you, based on the studies I've done, that, group, that generation is moving off the scene. Thank God for the younger men that are there. But our nation is in trouble. Our nation is, is, is taking a hard turn to the left, a hard turn toward wickedness. And it is very challenging in this day to know how to navigate the, the insidious moral dilemma. Lest when you declare truth, you are marginalized and cut off from the culture and society. It's a challenging day. It's a scary day for young preachers. There are many pitfalls along the way. And so I, I would encourage you in your prayer life. As a preacher encouraged a while back when I was in a, in a missions conference in West Virginia, he, he said, pray for laborers every day. And I would say that to you. Pray that the Lord of harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest field. That's part of my life's message now, working for GFA and I've hit this for years, but I'm hitting it more strongly. So we need preachers. We need prophets, if you will. We need servants, people who will cultivate and activate a servant's heart, pouring out their lives to meet the needs of others in unseen and unsung ways, who are, serve in official and unofficial capacities in churches as servants. Teachers, we need teachers in the home, in our churches, in our schools, to educate uh, young people and children in every arena of learning, teaching God's truth, teaching what we call a biblical worldview, that gift of teaching. We need encouragers or exhorters to come alongside with people. Exhorting is a gift. I think sometimes it's, it's a gift of warning sometimes where you, you can see where someone is headed and you can say, don't, don't, don't stray off the path. 
stay on. Sometimes it's taking off, it's taking a person who's down and who's stumbled and you come alongside and it's not over now. There's, there's a lot of life left. You can get back on your feet. God will help you. It's an encouraging gift, being an exhorter uh, in different ways. There's, there's a gift of giving. There's a gift of giving. Uh, some people uh, uh, have greater capacity to give. That's perhaps part of what that gift is. Other people don't really have much to give. They give out of their their poverty, as the Corinthian believers were exhorted to do. And the believers, I believe, in Achaia had exemplified. They gave out of their poverty. They're people of prayer. They just asked that God would use them to be a channel of blessing. They might be like the, the widow who gave her all that she had. Uh, didn't have a lot, but she gave what she had. It was a gift of giving. There's the gift of leadership and how we need leaders in the cause of Christ today, servant leaders. And then there are those who are who have the gift of mercy. Years ago, a, a pastor, older pastor friend of mine who has a tender heart, he, he always had a little tear about ready to drop off. He was very merciful as a pastor. And he said to me, because he, he would touch my heart when he talked like that, he would see me get tender, and he would say, you have the gift of mercy. And I'm like, you don't know me very well. I think I have the gift of justice, not the gift of mercy, but I wish I had the gift of mercy. But you know, whether you have the gift or not, we ought to be people who are merciful in our attitude toward other people and compassionate. And some people are especially wired that way. Let me say a quick word about spiritual gifts. How, how would one come to know his or her spiritual gift? I think, it, I think here it is. You serve, you serve, you serve, and as you serve, your gifts will surface. And you will, you will come to understand what it is God has especially gifted you to do. Serve in your family, serve in your church, serve in the workplace, serve in the community. Uh, find a way to serve and watch your gifts surface. Listen to the counsel of others, especially spirit-filled people who, who can be of guidance to you along this line. Allow God to use the process of time coupled with success and failure to guide you to, to your giftedness. Develop your gift with a spirit of excellence and humility. Make sure your gift is only used harmoniously in the body of Christ. And serve the Lord now with a spirit of discernment and dedication. You can't steer a parked car. Get moving. Let you go down the wrong street in your car. Okay, get turn around the driveway, uh, head back uh, in another direction, and get on the right road of primary service for the Lord. Watch how you respond to the needs of others. And then notice what you do most effectively when you are truly surrendered to the Lord. And just remember this. Having a primary spiritual gift does not excuse us from responsibility in other areas. We are all, in a sense, to, get to exhort one another daily, lest we be hard to the deceitful and system. We all are to be giving, but some have a special niche in that way. We all ought to be people who show mercy, but there are some who are specially wired that way. And so I say God gives gifts. Now, I'm going to hit the next point quickly because we... We, I, we, I'm, I know I'm, I'm, I, I almost went astray on that point, all right? But I wanted to expand a little bit on the, the spiritual gifts uh, discussion. So let me go to the second point, and that is that, 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 God gives, that God gives grace. And I've kind of already said this. I'm going to say a little bit more about this this afternoon. He says we are to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If we speak, we speak as the oracles of God. If we ministry says, do it as of the ability, that, that corresponds to, to grace, to ability or strength. 
that God gives. I've really already said this point in my preliminary comments, that the Christian life is, is run, runs on the energy of divine grace. So here's, here's what I would just say. As you, as you work through how you're serving the Lord, trying to be a good, faithful steward of your gifting, you're going to get to times where you're, you're out of gas, okay? Uh, it, it, it's hard, okay? Uh, you're, you're, you're tempted to not continue to serve. You're tempted to, to back away from responsibility. And I would just say to you, when you hit a time like that, then draw humbly upon the grace of God. Here, here's what I have found in my life in ministry over the many years of teaching and preaching and working with young people. In those seasons that were, say, the most physically demanding, the most occasionally you get into a season when you're a little disoriented, about where, where to go, what to do. Maybe there's a trial that's come in unexpectedly and, and thrown off your, your inner sense of balance and well-being. This happens. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it, it can be a spiritual attack. It can, be, it can be something to do with our families. A child goes astray. A spouse gets off, uh, off center. Uh, goes astray, perhaps. And I would just call us each to remember that it's, it's God's special grace that helps us. And I have found in those worst seasons, on some of those worst days, if I will catch myself and let that turn into occasion for an expression of God's grace, God does very special things. Those bad days can end up being some of the best days of God's blessing because God works through hum humble people when we are either humbled by something or we choose to be humble, if not humiliated sometimes through those times. God works through grace. My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather rejoice in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. God, God gives grace. So this is saying we've got to be humble, we've got to be submissive, we've got to be clean before the Lord, and then God will take His grace and work in our, in our lives in a mighty way. I can remember the very first words that I spoke publicly. Uh, I, can, I remember the first sermon that I preached. I hope I'm the only one, okay? <laughs> I was 15 years old, Bethel Baptist Church in Hartsell, Alabama. Eventually became my parents' home church. And um, I, I remember that, that sense of utter dependence upon the Lord as a, as a young boy. Uh, and, and, and then God took that evening's message I remember I preached two-thirds of my message. I had 30 minutes to preach, and I preached two-thirds of the message in 10 minutes. I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I said, well, let's review. That's what I said. So we reviewed. I ended up preaching 40 minutes that night. Eight people came forward at the end of the service. I still think they were just planted. You know, they just had an agreement that they were all going to go forward at the end to encourage the young kid, you know. But uh, 
I don't know. The Lord seemed to work. I remember the very first words I spoke on the platform at Bob Jones. I was a freshman in a speech class, and they had me quote one Bible verse in, uh, in a Vesper program on a Sunday afternoon. The place was pretty full on the main floor. This is a 7,000-seat auditorium. The balconies were filled. And uh, I can remember, I, this was back when you, you wore polyester. Everything you wore was pretty much polyester. This is 1973. I had on maroon uh, polyester pants with a blue coat on like this. And I was lined up with some other people. And I was so nervous. And my legs were shaking physically. And I, I, I just knew that my leg was shaking so badly that my pants must have been flapping in the breeze like this up on that platform. And the verse that I quoted that day was, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who shall find? That's the first thing I ever spoke to Bob. And I preached on that platform very many times, but I never forget that that first moment when I was scared to death. And there have been many other scary times. I used to be, I'd take the Vesper offerings in the other auditorium, and I was always afraid I was going to fall into the orchestra pit when I would come out in that darkened room to, to call for the offering at the middle of, in the middle of Vesper. But you know what I've seen over the years? And there's times when I still, I still get the heebie-jeebies about, about whatever it is. Maybe you do in your area of giftedness. But, but God gives grace, and he helps us. And I'm seeing his grace in this older age ministry that I'm in now. It's a great privilege to be serving the Lord. Well, finally this morning, God, God gets the glory. God gets the glory. The end of verse 11, we're, going, we're back in 1 Peter chapter 4 for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 4. If any man speaks, let him do it. Speak as the oracles of God. If any man ministers, let him do it as with the ability that God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. God gets the glory. We've already talked about God being at the center of all things. Romans eleven thirty six. for of him and through him and to him are all things. This is very important to keep in mind in the arena of serving the Lord and spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 31 Paul says, let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou didst not receive it? So God gets all the glory. That means when all is said and done, when all of life is over, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that in the end of all things, after all that we have tried to do by His grace in the body of Christ, that which we've tried to do in winning people to Christ, our life dedicated to Christ, when, when we are there in that day, there's, a, there's an expression in the Bible that talks about casting our crowns at His feet. We will know when we see the Lord that it was not in and of ourselves that we were able to do anything. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But he also said, with God, all things are impossible. I'm looking into the face of, some, of some, some younger people in this room. People have your life ahead of you. I'm looking at some younger adults that are sitting here. 
I'm looking at some middle-aged adults, and I'm looking at some other adults that are like me, okay? And every last one of us is going to, who knows the Lord, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in, in our bodies. We're going to give an account of how we've used the gifts, the opportunities, the time, talent, energy, and so forth that He's given to us. It's going to be a serious day. The little expression in the song says, Must I go and empty handed? Must I meet my Savior thus? What an awesome thing it's going to be in that day. He's not going to be judging us about whether we go to heaven or hell. That's already been decided. This is not the great white throne judgment of Christ, but this is the judgment seat of Christ. And that is going to be one awesome day. Awesome, you know, serious sense that we'll stand before him. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability that God giveth that God in all things may be glorified, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God gives gifts. God gives grace. And God gets all the glory. Would you bow your heads with me, please? We've been listening.